nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am so happy to be back, and, and especially on this show. Um, today's show is called Human Trafficking, the Intersection with Healthcare, and it will focus on the impacts on the economy and public health. Uh, so this is a part two. This sh- today's show is actually a part two of a conversation I began with my guest, Tammy Tony Butler, on October 7th, 2019. And it was regarding the hidden, hidden menace of human trafficking. There are things in the world so terrible that many of, if not most of us, would rather believe they do not exist. If we don't see it, hear about it, experience it in our own circle of family and friends, it's easy to slide it to a very far recess of our brain. If we do know it exists, we believe it does not happen to anyone we know. Surely no one in our community. The reality is that human trafficking of men, women, and children for purposes of slavery, sex abuse, and terror does exist. It does exist in our community and very possibly to people we think we know well. As nurses, we do not have the luxury of believing we will never deal with it. We have got to be aware enough to be that link with sanity when one of these individuals might have a moment of opportunity, say in the ER, the clinic, uh, OB or med surge with one nurse who might recognize their trauma and their need and act to release them from agony too terrible to imagine. I've invited my guest, Tammy Tony, Tony Butler, uh, to return. Uh, she has invested a significant part of her career to research and advocating for those who most need our help, and uh, she is going to help us add to this discussion. So, Tammy, um, I know that you did uh, tell us previously in our previous show about your nursing history and what brought you to this work, but could you repeat for those who may not have heard that first show? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, having me uh, today. And I have been an emergency department nurse for 28 years and a sexual assault uh, nurse examiner for uh, a little over a year and currently. And so that's about 30 years of uh, nursing experience. And I'm an anti-human trafficking uh, consultant and an uh, advocate um, for uh, Path to Freedom. It's an organization to where we uh, house uh, adolescent uh, little girls Uh, who are victims of uh, human trafficking, and we focus on long-term trauma-informed care and getting to the root causes of what potentially uh, led them to be vulnerable to being uh, trafficked so that we can mitigate uh, that risk going Mm -hmm. forward in the future. 
Sure. So this is a huge topic, and uh, hence one of the reasons that we're having a second show on it, because even with probably more shows, um, we couldn't possibly touch all of the aspects of what's going on with this. So um, I know that there there is a, a, a budding science that has been going on about this. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, Yes, let me first uh, recap for those who did not hear my first show. You know, human trafficking is a $150 billion industry. It uh, grosses more money than Google, uh, Nike, and Starbucks combined, and uh, that's off the Mm -hmm. selling of human beings for sex, uh, labor, and in some parts of the world, uh, their organs. And we are dealing with human beings, and the average age to be trafficked Depending on the study, is 11 to 14. Uh, the National Center uh, for Missing and Exploited Children uh, puts that age uh, at around 15 for being uh, victims of uh, sex trafficking. And when we talk about sex trafficking in the United States and we talk about where minors are involved, we're talking about domestic minor sex trafficking, and it is a federal crime. There are no child prostitutes. There's on, they're only victims. So if they're under 18... Mm-hmm involved in a commercial sex act, then that is a crime and falls under mandatory reporting guidelines, much like child abuse and elder abuse. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when we get into the ACEs science, and, and when we start looking at human trafficking, and on this segment of the show, we were going to talk about the root causes of human trafficking. So I wanted to talk about adverse childhood experiences, or something we call ACEs. And ACEs came about, um, there was a study in the uh, 1990s, between 1995 and 1997, with 17,000 study uh, participants. It was of uh, middle-class American adults. And there was two waves of data collection, and it was done um, out of Southern California with Dr. Vincent Folletti of Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. And it originally looked at obesity and weight loss, Hmm. and what they found was that when individuals were coming back for their checkups, they were gaining weight in record numbers. And they had lost a lot of weight, and and at first they thought, oh, we're really successful. But when they started coming back, they were gaining it back and and more. And they wanted to know why a lot of these individuals were doing that. So they Mm. they delved deeper, and what they found was that um, they reported traumatic experiences before the age of 18 that kind of get grouped into categories. There's, There's three Uh, categories of adverse childhood experiences. There's adverse experiences in families, adverse climate experiences, like with your your hurricanes and your tornadoes and your natural disasters or your volcano eruptions and things like that. And there's Mm -hmm. adverse community experiences, which could be your mass shootings and those things. And that's the way ACEs are grouped. Now, the original study really focused more on the experiences in family, which was physical, emotional, and sexual abuse or physical and emotional neglect, or if a household member was struggling with maybe a mental illness, a relative that was incarcerated, someone struggling with addiction, 
maybe there was a mother that was in a domestic violence situation and, or inter, interpersonal violence and was treated in a violent manner, or there was maybe a divorce. And they were finding that that's what these individuals had in common. Oh. And when we look at that, there's health impacts that are associated with adverse childhood experiences. And the reason we're looking at them with the relationship to human trafficking is because they predispose an individual to being vulnerable to uh, human trafficking and, and being groomed or recruited by a trafficker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that uh, brings it a little bit more connected uh, and, and the realization that it can be something close to you. Um, so many times parents, when they find out that their their children have been online in sex rooms or whatever else, they're shocked and, and appalled. But uh, when you realize that they could have been drawn into that and um, and then groomed, like you said, over a period of time. Yes. And when we look at adverse childhood experiences, it's kind of like a cholesterol score for trauma. Mm. And mm. the score goes to a 10. And the higher the score, that's not necessarily a good thing. That just means that you were exposed to uh, more traumatic uh, experiences. And the impact that that traumatic event can have is it can affect, have negative health outcomes. You know, it can affect growth and development, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, lead to risk-taking behavior, as well as a plethora of health uh, problems. And something startling was that if you have an adverse childhood experience score of around five or more, you have a, a, a 10 times more likelihood that you're going to abuse illicit drugs, and you're three hmm. times more likely that you're going to misuse uh, prescription pain medicines. And that's contributing to the opioid crisis today and to the epidemic, hmm. which is contributing to human trafficking, because traffickers are using opioids as a means of uh, coercion or uh, as a uh, uh, getting an individual into a debt-bonded situation and they entice mm. them with a drug, or either they get them addicted to control them so they'll submit to the, right. you know, to being sexually assaulted, uh, you know, 20 or 30 times a night. Because when we're talking wow. about a domestic minor sex trafficking and we're talking about uh, children who are being forced to have sex, it's sexual assault, you know, 20, 30 times a night, it just depends, you know, 10 to 30 times, and that's up to 10,000 sexual assaults in a uh, year's time, and that can add to an already traumatized uh, individual. And, you know, Mm -hmm. when if you have an ACEs score of four or more, then you have a 1,220% likelihood that you're going to commit suicide. And uh, Yes. And depression, 460% likelihood, and hepatitis, 240%. It's also, you have a 390% chance that you can have chronic pulmonary lung disease. And, and what we're finding is, you know, we're telling people to lose weight. We're telling people to stop using drugs. And what we aren't realizing is that these are coping mechanisms to an underlying trauma, and it's part of a trauma-adapted brain. Say more about that. What what do you mean by a trauma-adapted brain? I'm going to lead us 
to that area in just a few minutes, but the okay. more that you're exposed to trauma, you can have emotional reactions, and emotional memory is housed in the amygdala, and that can come out um, in the form of, you know, you can be triggered, and you can have uh, signs and symptoms of, of complex PTSD, and that's mm-hmm. where we look, and we look at rehabilitating uh, individuals with complex trauma and developing coping mechanisms. We look at getting them into this resilient zone to where if they feel themselves being triggered, then we can try to get them back into a window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something startling was uh, uh, Dr. David uh, Williamson, um, you know, of the CDC, you know, also um, just, you know, was really looking at childhood obesity and, and and he put out some 2012 data, and uh, among the 78 million obese and morbidly obese Americans, more than 6 million had a history of physical, verbal, or sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. And obesity also contributes to low self-esteem, which can contribute to an individual being vulnerable and falling under under the, you know, the grooming uh, of uh, individual for human trafficking. Mm -hmm. So we really have to look at um, these links to human trafficking, and 34.8 million children in the U.S. are affected by adverse childhood experiences, and two out of three adults have one or more adverse childhood experiences, according to data from the Center for Youth uh, Wellness. One out of eight adults have four or more ACEs. But it's important when we talk about ACEs and, and we talk about adverse childhood experiences that damage done does not necessarily mean damage done. And as a community, we need to rally around a two-generational approach to where we help to build resilience. And that's, you know, we start taking care of our throwaways, our, you know, unkids, our homeless individuals. And we start being that one person that helps them to realize what normal is and to kind of mitigate some of the damage that's that's being done in their, uh, you know, in their homes. And, you know, I have an adverse childhood experience score of about a nine, eight to a nine. I was, yes, I was uh, sexually uh, assaulted. Uh, you know, I don't know why they call it uh, sexual molestation. I mean, in those of us who have been uh, violated, uh, even at the ages of four or five, we will tell you that we were sexually assaulted. And, Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's what it is. And, you know, mine started very young, and there was more than one individual. And, you know, my father was um, a, a good man. He was deployed to Vietnam. Uh, he was drafted. He came back. He served a couple of tours. And he was a police officer, and uh, he divorced my mom. And he, you know, struggled with his own uh, demons after and issues after uh, being uh, in Vietnam. And, mm-hmm. you know, he ended up taking his own life, and, and we buried him on Father's Day when I was 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. You know, in trauma, in these, you know, it can be generational. It can be passed on. And, and they're actually showing that trauma can affect the placenta. It can affect DNA. And, you know, these adverse childhood experiences. And, you know, my my mom had her own uh, issues and, and had her own childhood trauma. You know, her father was a, a horrible alcoholic. And, and, you know, at no fault of her own, she made certain decisions to where that were based on survival that put us mm-hmm. at risk and, and put me at risk. And a lot of 
individuals are doing that or they're suffering their own trauma and they're not wanting to be, you know, bad parents or mm-hmm. they're not wanting to be neglectful or uh, struggle with these addictions, but it, it's being passed on from generation to generation. So we really need to look at adverse childhood experiences, childhood trauma, toxic stress going forward and how we can mitigate uh, this uh, and the damage that it's doing. It's, it's costing the economy, you know, uh, um, billions of, of dollars. Child mm-hmm. maltreatment actually uh, can, and, and um, adverse childhood experiences can decrease the lifespan by 20 years if you have a higher number of ACEs, and it costs over 400 and, and uh, like 50-something, I can't exactly remember the exact figure, billion dollars uh, a year uh, to the economy. So if we just invest in trauma, in trauma-informed care, in and in, in dealing with the underlying root causes of trauma, we can save uh, billions of dollars and decrease visits into the emergency department. You know, Dr. Vincent right. Folletti came out with another study in 2019 and found that just by, you know, having people talk about some of this, this stuff that's happened to them and just by asking and creating an environment uh, that you could tell those dark secrets, that you could... That translates into healthcare savings in the billions of dollars by not having unwanted um, uh, uh, emergency department visits mm-hmm. for behavioral health concerns, and mm-hmm. you know it, it's translating into violence in the healthcare industry and, and, and many different you know provider burnout. So we really need to get a handle on this, and from the aspect of how it's contributing to commercially sexually exploited children because 70 to 90% of commercially sexually exploited children have a history of sexual abuse and children mm-hmm. with sex abuse history are 28 times more likely to be arrested for prostitution and remember there are no child prostitutes mm-hmm. and there was a 2017 ACEs study out of Florida by Reed et al., and it indicated that children who suffered childhood trauma, especially with sexual abuse, um, had a high uh, susceptibility to succumbing to the grooming tactics of a trafficker. You can really see how some of the statistics and uh, uh, general things that we're seeing on the news and hearing about in, in newspapers, etc., um, can feed into all of this. I was thinking about just recently, they've been talking about the decrease in the longevity of people in the United States that is not happening in other countries. And I guess that's another question that comes to my mind. Are other countries experiencing this level of, of abuse, or is it, again, just the United States? Well, I, I think it's, you know, the World uh, Health Organization uh, put out some uh, information um, and, and talked about how childhood trauma, how non-communicable diseases are actually affecting uh, the e- economy and could possibly bankrupt uh, the economy. I mean, they, they, we have to get a handle on uh, trauma, you know, according to Dr. Margaret Chan, uh, she was the Director General of the World Health Organization. She put out like a 2011 speech, and she said noncommunicable diseases are a prevalent and serious threat to the 21st century health and that we must start promoting healthy lifestyles. 
and, mm-hmm. and prevention tactics are paramount going forward to mitigate the negative effects on the economy and society at large. Because obesity, over 40 million preschool children are obese and overweight, and worldwide obesity rates have almost doubled since 1980. And remember, if these children are using food as a coping mechanism to an underlying trauma, then we have a problem. And she even went on to say that this is causing individuals to fall below the poverty line because they're having to seek out health care. They're, you know, they're being diabetics. And, and there's studies out there that show that childhood trauma can uh, lead to poorly controlled diabetes and you have trouble uh, regulating your blood sugars. And we all know what that, that's doing. So just by dealing with these emotional uh, issues and realizing that we're a mind, body, and a spirit and we have to heal in a holistic manner, then that, by doing that, we're actually uh, able to control blood sugars more. We're actually able to decrease the childhood obesity rates and to actually improve health outcomes. And I know for me, I struggled with my weight for years. And, you know, I've been transformed uh, by my faith and, and, and by the grace of, of God. And And through that transformation, I no longer have insomnia. I no longer, you know, I have been losing weight. I work out. I don't have that inner critic, that shame, that mm-hmm. that fear, that guilt that drove me and caused me to soothe my uh, mind by food. And I've just been transformed. And, and I mean, I'm just totally embracing a healthier lifestyle. And and, uh, and, just and the, the healthier amount of change lifestyle in me helps you be more healthy in all areas of your life. It seems like one feeds into another. As your mind feels freer, your body, you know, is more willing to do the things that you need to do to improve your health physically. And that physical, um, you know, exercise and things like that just helps your mind to feel more clear and open again. And it just becomes a cycle, a positive cycle instead of a negative cycle. Yes, and actually what you said was very important because when you're having an emotional flashback or you're in um, a, a hypervigilant state, and we start to see that you're, quote, triggered or you're, you're flashing back and you're having that profound shame or guilt or anger, one of the things that we like to do is we like to take you on a mindful walk or get you involved in playing basketball or some type of an exercise because that actually calms the amygdala down, which houses that emotional memory. And it actually helps to get individuals back into a window of tolerance. And that's paramount, whether you're seeing these children in a school system or wherever they are, if you see them triggered or you see them acting out, we must not say, what is wrong with you, we must start thinking about what happened to them, looking as if they have a history of trauma and looking at creative ways to where we can get them mindful in the moment, whether it's by yoga, a calm place, to where you're exactly right. We can calm down that brain and actually form a new brain pathway away from trauma and away uh, to a path of hope and healing, which is what we want to focus on and we, we are focusing on uh, 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 as part of our, our program model for uh, Path to Freedom in, in dealing with long-term uh, trauma. 
Yeah, this triggers all kinds of thoughts and connections to things I've been reading lately and, you know, hearing about. And you just, you know, realize that as people are feeling fearful and then acting out of that fear, that's transferred also to our children and to people around us. And um, it's almost like a, an infection that people are, are getting. And even when they didn't feel fearful before, being around people who are very fearful can tend to make you feel, you know, more ill at ease. So it just becomes like a vicious circle. And then also, we are so in need of getting a handle on our healthcare process, how we're going to pay for healthcare, and then having an integrated system where um, each area knows and understands how to connect with other areas. So like, you know, training people in the ER that... Uh, you are dealing with not somebody with just a gunshot wound or somebody with a broken leg, but you are dealing with a whole person. And this may only be a symptom if you only deal with that, which we feel like we only have time to deal with this one thing that is bleeding or presenting, you know, very loudly. Um, we tend not to deal with those underlying things. And we don't, we just don't go there on maybe there's not even enough uh, conscious understanding of mental health yet that allows um, allows us to be really non-judgmental about people that are having behaviors that don't seem normal or don't seem um, you know correct. We judge them rather than trying to look at what is there that I can help with. Yes, and that is a problem with uh, recognizing a victim or survivor of human trafficking is if we diagnostic overshadow or we bring in these preconceived biases and we see them as possibly drug-addicted prostitutes and we don't look at the fact that they, you know, what you have in that adult that you're seeing Mm -hmm. is you have a four-year-old or a five-year-old that potentially was horribly raped or beaten or, you know, or or saw Mm -hmm. a parent commit suicide or struggling with addiction or maybe, you know, saw a a childhood, you know, shooting in in some of our violence today, and they're dealing with it the only way they know how. And so you're seeing the effects, but you're not seeing that vulnerable child that's, there and a trafficker is a, a trafficker is, is looking at these yeah. uh, individuals and seeing that they're vulnerable and they're exploiting that weakness and and that vulnerability and that's really contributing to the the supply uh, for human trafficking and it's very yeah. it, it's paramount going forward that we have protocols in place to uh, identify uh, victims of human trafficking in the healthcare setting and also uh, trauma-informed, survivor-informed institutions using that right. integrated healthcare model that you talked about. Tammy, and we're going to stop here because this is a good place for a break. And um, so we will just take a couple of minutes here for our break, and then we'll come back and talk some more. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I'm talking today with Tammy Tony Butler. And she uh, we're, we're talking about human trafficking, that intersection with healthcare, and then how it impacts the economy and public health. So we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. 
This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact Senior Executive Producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. This is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I've been talking here with Tammy Tony Butler, and we're talking about a, just a, a horrendous uh, topic, uh, human trafficking, um, how it intersects with healthcare, and especially in ways of how it impacts the economy and public health. Um, Tammy is such an expert on this subject that I just feel like we're really, um, uh, it's really a benefit to us to be able to hear all that you have to share with us. So um, let's let's move into um, uh, that long-term trauma. Uh, tell us more about what you'd like us to know on that ter- on that line. Yes, and when we look at adverse childhood experiences, and when we start looking at trauma and 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 we have to really look at child sexual abuse statistics and the human trafficking connection. And every nine minutes, Child Protective Services substantiates or finds evidence for a claim of child sexual abuse, according to RAIN. And, you know, that is um, a problem. And among the cases of, of uh, childhood uh, sexual abuse, 93% are known to the victim, and 80% of those are family members. Mm-hmm. And then when we look at the average age, two out of three are ages 12 to 17, so that's 66% of those that are victims of child sexual abuse are ages 12 to 17. And the Rape Abuse Incest National Network, RAIN, uh, has those statistics for us, and that's the prime age uh, to be uh, victims of human trafficking. And, and what we're finding is childhood sexual abuse is a conditioning field, a conditioning ground for prostitution later on, whether it's adult prostitution or prostitution by choice or whether it's sex trafficking in our children, which is sexual assault. 
because they mm. see, you know, this, um, they become sexualized very early, and they feel like they have no control over their body, so they're used to someone controlling them, and that puts them at a heightened risk uh, to fall prey uh, to a trafficker because they just want their basic needs to be met of, of love and of shelter. And mm-hmm. another startling t- statistic is 83% of children in foster care are sexualized, which mm-hmm. means they have been exposed to pornography, sexual abuse, or witnessed um, an individual in a domestic violence situation maybe uh, being sexually assaulted. And every 92 seconds in America, um, an individual is sexually assaulted. One out of six American women has been a victim of attempted or completed rape in a lifetime, and about 3% of men. And one out of three American Indians or Alaskan Native women will be raped in a lifetime. That's two and a half times that of non-Natives and they're 1% of the population. Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior sexual assaults increase the vulnerability to being trafficked uh, for um, sex. Mm-hmm. And so that is um, where we, what we need to look at. And a staggering statistic that came out by the CDC, one in two women experience sexual violence in their lifetime. One said one in two, one said one in three. That is one absolutely two, unbelievable. Yeah, and that is unbelievable. And, you know, one in seven children experience abuse or neglect in the last year. And, again, when we look at adverse childhood experiences, that is fueling the supply. And it's also translating into our opioid problems and and, um, that human trafficking connection with the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And, again, the economic toll. Uh, lifetime cost of non-fatal child maltreatment, which I mentioned earlier, $401 billion was the actual statistic. And wow. the average life expectancy less than 20 years. So and maybe that's the, formulating it. I'm sorry, go ahead, maybe, Leanne. Maybe that's the end for those people who either don't want to be aware of this or don't want to take any action on it, is to look at what is the cost to you or to you as a taxpayer or to, you know, the our uh, com- our um, country, um, maybe that's the way that we have to present it to people to get it at a place where it says, okay, this does hit me. Oh, absolutely. It's hitting us in our wallets. And, you know, it's crossing into the pipeline to prison and it's crossing into the juvenile justice system. And we know that children are being trafficked out of the uh, systems of the juvenile justice or the child welfare systems. Mm-hmm. And um, we know that there, um, two out of three of all states had caseload increases. Six states rose by more than 50%, according to 2013 data from Child Welfare Information Gateway. So these, mm-hmm. this is translating into an overwhelmed child welfare system, which is mm-hmm. contributing to the human trafficking problem. And it's also contributing to intersections with uh, the police. Mm-hmm. And if you have a history of childhood trauma, you have it's almost 60% chance that you're going to be arrested as a juvenile and almost 30% chance that you're going to, you know, commit some violent crime. 
And Tammy, I got to tell you, these statistics feel so overwhelming to me, and it just it just feels like, oh my gosh, this sounds almost hopeless because it's so interconnected. I need some help. Save me from from myself and my own fear about this. What are you? Do you feel hopeful about the future, and in what ways? And oh, what absolutely. Can we do? There's hope. Look at what happened to me. I mean, I had almost 50 years of trauma. You know, I mm-hmm. was, was, you know, uh, an innocent child, and then I was horribly victimized, and I moved from, from that to a uh, survivor to an overcomer, by, mm-hmm. again, by my faith. And I, I'm completely healed. I have no insomnia. I don't, I don't even drink anymore, any alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I used to take Ambien 10 milligrams and wash it down with wine. Mm-hmm. And I, so absolutely, there's total freedom. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, leave, I'm going to just leave you with this thought as well and, and just let this marinate. I always said to my team, I'm never going to be whole. The only hope I have is to have a moment of peace. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, I was wrong. Because mm-hmm. I am completely free. It is as if, as if nothing ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. I feel completely reborn, rejuvenated, and like I am not a victim of crime at all. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that I'm completely, again, that innocent child that, uh, of God that lies out in the field and looks up at the stars. So yeah. 100% tell me, can, you, can you tell me, are there other ways? Um, tell me all the ways. Do you know of people that have used... Um, various different ways to be able to uh, recover from from what they have experienced. Like oh, other people absolutely. that you know that have, um, or, or examples of people that have found ways through, because I think for everybody, it has to be something that works for them. And I want to make sure people know there isn't just, you know, one way, that there's lots of ways. Yes. Um, you know, I have... Uh, several survivors that are out uh, in the open about their trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. Courtney with Childproof America, she just spoke uh, at uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, and was actually in the White House uh, with the Trumps and was speaking on human trafficking, and she was trafficked out of the school systems. And mm. she is amazing, just uh, totally a transformed individual and just, really on a mission to bring about great change. My other friend, uh, Angelina Spencer Crisp, she also is a victim of childhood trauma, of intersections with the foster care system, and of human trafficking, and she just published her first novel, and uh, it's out there for people to to buy. And so there's there's Just curious, is it about uh, trafficking, or is the novel about something completely different? Yes, no, it's a, it's about trafficking uh, uh, as well, and and uh, it's um, it's called Redbird, and and it's by uh, uh, B. A. Crisp, and it's it's a wonderful novel, and 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 she's just a, an amazing human being with her own story, and she put a podcast out recently that talked of of her story and and how she has been transformed, and it's and she's a, a a staunch advocate, and she's a government consultant. She goes all mm-hmm. over the world and speaks on human trafficking, and she's a powerhouse. And, you know, uh, Rebecca Bender, there's so many success stories, and that's what we want everybody to, to feel. Is right. There's freedom. There's freedom. There's hope. And we must stop this stigma related to 
mental health and seeking help and telling our stories, mm-hmm. it's okay. You know, find someone that you trust, find a counselor, you know, and, and talk to individuals and let them know what has happened to you. And there's power in just the testimony. There's power in just speaking the unspeakable language of trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. On LinkedIn, um, over the last couple of months, I've seen two different um, uh, segments where uh, people had written their trauma on on pieces of paper and then just videotaped uh, themselves showing those papers. So it's like they didn't have to say the words themselves, but they went through these pieces of paper of what had happened to them and, and what their experience was and then how they had um, come back to, into themselves and were able to find uh, some solace. So, yeah, I, exactly. I can see where putting that out would be such a powerful, powerful thing. Well, and just knowing the neurobiology of trauma and realizing, you know, I I thought there was something wrong with me and, and people labeled me or, you know, I was like, oh, I thought I was OCD or I was this mm-hmm. or that. And I just wanted to scream no, I'm a victim of childhood trauma, and I always knew I had a trauma problem. I didn't have mm-hmm. OCD. I didn't have, uh, you know, uh, bipolar disorder, any of these things that could have easily I've been labeled with and put on medication, and that's what we're finding. We're finding that people are getting labeled and being over-medicated, and it's just signs of uh, and symptoms of trauma. And so when we look at the definition of trauma, which you know, is, uh, you know, an event that causes physical or emotional harm uh, that can have lasting effects uh, to an individual and and their physical, social, or spiritual well-being. So when we look at that and look at how, you know, trauma can affect the size of your brain, it can Mm -hmm. also, you know, Pete Walker, uh, you know, is an uh, amazing author, and he has a book, uh, From Surviving to Thriving, Complex PTSD, and he looks at the four F responses, yeah. And it's an incredible book because it it shows you how to get through emotional flashbacks. It lets you kind of know what's going on with you. And he's finding that an over-reliance on these four Fs, the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, can actually lead to a trauma-adapted brain. And you could resemble someone who's obsessive-compulsive, or you could disassociate, you could be narcissistic or codependent based on a trauma-adapted brain. So individuals can get labeled with conduct disorders, uh, you know, they can be, you know, um, missed, uh, con- you know, diagnosed with ADHD, ADD, and other issues, and really their behaviors are just manifestations of an underlying trauma. You know, Judith Herman has an excellent book, and, you know, there's books um, out there that are just uh, really, really good. There's a uh, workbook by uh, Dr. Uh, Ariel Schwartz, the Complex PTSD Workbook. So there's tons of, uh, you know, books out there. I think Pete Walker's is one that I, I really love and Judith Herman's. And it shows you, oh, that's what's wrong with me. That's why I acted that way. That's why mm-hmm. I got so angry and I couldn't control it. And it was like a volcano erupting. Because right. when you're caught in one of these emotional flashbacks, you cannot 
control what's coming out of your mouth, and and it, you feel so much shame and guilt and fear, and it's powering when you know the neurobiology of trauma, and you realize, oh. I had a trauma-adapted brain because I lived with a bear. You know, I lived with Mm -hmm. a predator. I lived with a boogeyman, and I was in fight-flight-free, you know, fight-flight mode and freeze mode my whole life or in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode... Tammy, slow that down because it's hard to hear. It's a fight-flight-freeze. What was the other one? Fawn. Fawn. What is fawn? Well, fawn is more of... So you've got... Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And when we look at fight, that's when you can get stuck in um, kind of overdrive. And and you can anger easily. You can be prone to narcissistic rage. And then if you get stuck in flight mode, you can have an accelerator that's also stuck in the on position. And you can be prone to risk-taking behaviors, being excessive compulsive, having severe anxiety or panic attacks. Now, freeze mode, if you get stuck in that, according to Pete Walker, that's kind of where the brakes get put on, and you can, you know, be prone to being submissive, depressed, you can uh, be prone to suicide, and also substance abuse, because your normal opioid responses get blunted. Whenever you look at also uh, another name out there is Dr. Rebecca Campbell, and, and her when you, when you look at Dr. Re- uh, Rebecca Campbell and when she talks about the neurobiology of sexual assault, you have hormonal dumps in your system when you're exposed to trauma, and these hormonal dumps can make you, you, you have like a natural morphine or opioid that's released, and mm-hmm. if it's continuously re- released because you're always living with a, a, a predator exposed to continuous trauma, then you can... Uh, over-rely on that, get used to it, and seek out a synthetic alternative, right. what makes mm-hmm. you prone to alcohol or drug abuse. Sure. You know, and fawn is, is where they can be codependent, over-pleasing, and they can lose themselves in the service of, to others, which is what I did. Uh-huh. I, I became a wounded healer, and I thought by healing mm-hmm. everybody else, I could heal myself, and, <laughs> and that's common. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, there is, again, so much in this that I'm thinking about. How do we um, bring the health care in general? Because obviously um, uh, medical uh, uh, care of patients, health, uh, mental health care of patients, um, all of the different ways, even uh, chaplains and, and priests and um, uh, you know, people who are taking care of the spiritual side of people, we all need to be able to recognize some of these symptoms and to be able to know what or how to be able to approach these people because certainly people sometimes want to be helpful and in fact they do things that are harmful. So what should people do if they're thinking, you know, this person that I'm interacting with seems to be having some of these symptoms? Do we approach that person? How do we handle it? Well, what I want everybody to start doing is looking through a trauma lens. And instead of us immediately, uh, you know, going, what is wrong with you? You know, what is your problem? For us to stop, to take a moment, to breathe, to be mindful in our own moment, check our own responses, and, and, and look at the situation, you know, just slow down and look at it and think, if they're angry, if they're up in your face or they're acting out, or they're harming themselves, or they just overdosed, 
or they're cursing you like crazy, maybe it's because they don't want you to focus truly on them and what's mm-hmm. inside of them because they feel so dirty and so nasty and, and horrible inside. They want you to focus on their behavior so you're not looking deeply uh-huh. at them. Mm-hmm. So we need and to then realize, what, do we talk to them about it or do we try and encourage them to connect to some assistance? Oh, absolutely. Where do we you go know, from I, there? I think that we need to create environments to where it's safe to utter the unspeakable language of trauma to where you're not judged, to where you're solely accepted for what you say, and that you are supported no matter what comes out. You know, and, and I'm a sexual assault nurse examiner, and what you have to do is you have to just keep a straight face and not let anything anyone tells you show disgust Shock. or show, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe that happened to you. you. You have to just be kind of stoic and just take it and, and be mm-hmm. silent. Sometimes they just want to talk, and we just need mm-hmm. to listen. Sometimes we just don't listen. So we need to actively listen and, and create these environments. And, you know, in our behavioral health systems, in our hospitals, we must be trauma-informed. We, we have to be going forward because we live in a trauma-adapted society. And, you know, people can call, you know, into the uh, suicide hotlines um, as far as, you know, into human trafficking. Uh, if they're a victim of human trafficking, uh, they can call uh, the uh, uh, National um, Human Trafficking Hotline. I mean, there's... You know, many different ways they can, you know, seek out a faith-based organization. They can seek Mm -hmm. out a a school teacher at school, a counselor. Mm -hmm. And we need to just look at these two generational approaches to where we, you know, start taking care of the, you know, entire individual and even looking at the uh, connection of family. So there's definite ways, you know, Pete Walker puts out a, 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 an emotional flashback, kind of a, a 13 steps to uh, how to uh, uh, deal with an emotional flashback. And, and mm-hmm. you know, just by our school systems being trauma-informed and, and realizing mm-hmm. now that some of this violence that we're seeing uh, could be as a result of, um, you know, uh, tr- childhood trauma and hypervigilance or signs of, of complex PTSD. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just need to be mindful of that. Certainly there are individuals that, you know, have had childhood trauma and, and they function and they're, they're fine. So I'm not saying this is for everybody, you know, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying collectively we need to look at it in an integrated uh, uh, care environment to where we look at primary care, family, community, and mental health. And we all kind of transect and and collaborate within those uh, different fields uh, to treat uh, an individual holistically. So it comes down to if you are uh, somebody, I say nurse because of the nursing show we're talking about, but anybody who's dealing with healthcare, who's dealing with helping uh, human beings, uh, and say, okay, what can I do? What, how can I create uh, some resources around me that when and if I encounter someone who needs them, I will already know what those resources are? Or um, connecting maybe um, to reach out to somebody else, a faith-based organization or to a mental health organization and say, how can we work together? And, and come up with plans so we will know what to do when we come into the situation. Does that sound oh, like a possibility? Okay, that's possible. And then um, are there uh, uh, organizations that people who want to learn this kind of thing could connect to? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, the Center for Child Stress and Health out of Florida State University, they actually have information at www.fsustress.org www.fsustress.org to where they have resources that talk about toxic stress. They actually screen for adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress and implement uh, protocols in place in their primary care offices to where they kind of have an integrated system. Wonderful. And they have it for all literacies and for like English, Spanish, and Creole. So there are definite resources out there available. So those are things that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can check with people who are already getting this going and then learn from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're almost out of time, and I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to say, um, if there's one thing about all of this that you want people to remember, what is it? I want people to remember that sometimes the behaviors and things that they're seeing, that they need to look deeper Mm -hmm. and they actually Mm -hmm. need to see the innocent child that's underneath Mm -hmm. some of that stuff or, or, uh, and I don't need to say innocent all the time, but, but the child Mm -hmm. that is underneath that, that adult body, that, uh, that facade and just look deeper and, and, and realize that maybe there's a reason for their behavior. And as far as human trafficking goes, which is what we're talking about and the root causes of human trafficking, we must get a handle on adverse childhood experiences, how they are contributing to to supply and demand. And I also just want to leave you with a National Human Trafficking Hotline number, 188-373-7888. If you see something, say something. And um, that's just could, the information that I'd like to leave you with. Could you repeat that number again, um, just to, in case somebody hadn't grabbed a, a pen yet? Absolutely. It's one eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. The one thing that that comes to my mind when I hear these things is that it's very easy for us to become overwhelmed and think, well, this is more than I can do. But it isn't about one person doing it. It's just one person connecting to another person to another person and just finding out what can I do? Is there something that makes sense for me that I can do going forward? So... um, This has been a very interesting program, and I would like to uh, explore a little bit more about this, especially from the side of the people who are the traffickers, what's happening to try and curb this kind of thing. So we will definitely have you back uh, sometime in the future and see if we can uh, dig a little deeper. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer, and I've been talking with Tammy Tony Butler on human trafficking, the intersection with healthcare, and how it impacts on the economy and public health. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.